Season 4 of Long Story Short is presented by Helping Up Mission in Baltimore. A car should never be a home. A street should never be a home. When it comes to standing firm, it could be the greatest testimony and the greatest outworking of our faith. Welcome to Long Story Short. I'm David Paul. On this final episode of Season 4, is Steve Healy still standing firm almost six months after the death of his wife, Nikki? And we circle back to answer the unasked question of Season 3. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you will know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Amen. October 8th at Lighthouse Church in Glen Burnie, Maryland. So, been a minute since I've been with y'all. Let me reintroduce myself. I understand there's probably a lot of guests in this house I have to introduce myself to for the first time. And as such, and for those who do know me, I just want to say off the jump that this weekend's going to be a little different. That... If you're new with us here at Lighthouse, or even if you're a congregant here at Lighthouse, you call this place home. You you know how it is we roll here. We spend some time in worship, and then the word is rightly divided by one of our pastors up front. But I I thought it would be really disingenuous of me to get up here and just jump into a teaching, because some of you don't know who I am. Some of you I have to introduce myself to, and for some of you, you, you intimately know who I am. And you know what I have been enduring over the last several years. And The question I and my family get asked the most is, how are you doing for real? Six months after preaching his last sermon, Steve Healy returns to the pulpit. It is his first sermon since Nikki's death. He would preach the sermon three times. I thought I had my footing and I thought I was pretty good until our first service is Saturday at five o'clock. And at 445, I just had almost this like rush of an anxiety of like, uh, how am I going to get through this? But by God's grace, I got a text from Bailey who just, <laughs> the theme of our family in these, the, these last several months, it was make sure you pray for your ticket. Make sure you get your ticket. And it was just a reminder to me that it was going to be God's grace and not by my effort that we're going to be able to get through that weekend. So I just, in my office privately for about 15 minutes, I just spent some time really praying and seeking Jesus and asking him to strengthen me, not for me, but so that I could honor Nick, but more than anything, point to him through this process. I thought my wife's, I really thought my wife's ministry was going to be a ministry of miracle. It ended up being a ministry of misery. But she carried her cross so well and pointed to her king the entire time, even in her questioning, even in her anxiety, even in her confusion. She said, I am trusting you, Jesus, that the kingdom of God was grown through it. She did not waste her ministry. I am not going to waste mine. The week before Steve preached, he went away for a two-night church leadership meeting. This would be the first time since he became a single dad that he left his three children, Bailey, Ryan, and Everett, home alone. Through the coordinating with my my in-laws, I made sure that, you know, they were going to be here in the evenings when the kids 
got home to make sure dinner was taken care of and they just hung out for a little bit. But, you know, other than that, all three of them were just here at night by themselves and, and Ryan got up and made sure, you know, Everett got on the bus all right and they got home and they, I texted all three of them all day, FaceTimed them several times a day. I, uh, you know, left right after I put ever on the bus first thing Monday morning, I didn't get back till late Wednesday night. And, uh, I came walking in the door and <laughs> you know, all three of them like, Hey dad, how you doing? Good to see you. You know, help it. Let me help you take your bag upstairs. I mean, they, they were, they did phenomenal. My, Nick, Nick was very, very, very adamant. She said, I am not raising good kids. I am here to raise functional adults. That was, that was one of her mainstays. And she really worked really hard to make sure our kids almost annoyingly. So like, if you ask the older two, they're like, we, man, you, you expect a lot of us, but she did. She made sure that they know they knew how to make themselves breakfast, do their laundry, uh, you know, take care of certain things, look out for one another. So this was a test of that, you know, 18, 15 and 10. All right. You know, you are going to be without adult supervision for the most part for 42, 70, 48, 72 hours. There'll be people here to pop in and check on you, but how will you do? And they, you know, they did phenomenal job. And I think uh, the years that Nikki put into making sure that that happened proved fruitful. So that was a really that was a that was a proud moment for me as a dad. As the calendar changed from October into November, Steve went away again. This time to a special retreat just for widowers. But initially, Steve was hesitant about going for a couple of reasons. One, I knew I, it, I, it was going to be within just a few months of Nick's passing, so I didn't know where I was going to be at in my own headspace. And then two, just to be candid, I didn't. I didn't want to just sit around with a bunch of guys crisscross applesauce and sing Kumbaya. Like, I wasn't looking for that. (laughs) Steve says he's glad he attended the Refuge Widowers Retreat because it gave him a new perspective on something very specific. The difference between grieving on somebody and grieving with somebody. That really, that was language that really helped me in that when you're, when you're going through this process what it's what is healthy grieving what is not healthy grieving the idea that that i've struggled with a lot since since nick has passed so many people have come up to me at you know at this now at five and a half approaching six months and just said hey you seem like you're doing okay there's almost a a guilt that i felt associated with it like am i moving too fast through my grief should i not be feeling okay is it not okay to be okay in fact Steve understands he actually began working through the five stages of grief even before Nikki died. When when Nikki was in treatment, her cancer marker kept elevating. We totally went into straight up denial. I mean, we really did go into denial. We stopped getting the blood test done. We we stopped going to the doctors for the month of December and in January because every single time we went, it was worse news. And we thought, hey, we're gonna have a really good holiday. And just let's just put our head down and enjoy the holiday. That's denial. <laughs> when I when I when we did get the scan results back end of January, early February, and it showed that the cancer had exploded, I was so angry at God about what was happening. I I I was vehemently angry. I was in the anger process of grieving when 
when I was trying to, to, to straddle the fence between normal life and, and my wife passing away, when I find myself on a baseball field 48 hours prior to my wife passing because I'm at my son's baseball game because that's what she wanted. I mean, that, I mean, I was bargaining. I mean, so I'd gone through this grieving process and I didn't even know that I was in it. So when someone tells me, you seem like you're doing okay, it's like, well, that's because I've been not okay for a really long time. As Steve navigates through his grief, he's also met others on a similar journey, including those whose story is very different from his. I, I've really learned that there is a major difference in losing someone suddenly versus losing someone over time. It's a sick and twisted game. I've had discussions even with my with my older daughter about, about what do you think is worse? Do you think walking out the door one day and coming back in the door and your and mom being gone would that have been harder than watching what we've and what we endured which was losing our person painstakingly day after day for three years to watch them tortured and then to see them pass and what i've come to learn is that both are awful both steal something from you that can't be replaced. You know, Nikki, to watch her degrade over time like that was absolute torture. At the same time, I have notes and letters and journals and things that can be passed on to my children for years to come where someone who loses their person in a car accident or tragically due to a heart attack or whatever the reason, I've talked to widows and widowers who said, I really wish I would have had those last moments with my person. I, I was, I was, denied that. When it comes to Christmas, there are people who wait until after Thanksgiving to decorate, people who decorate before Thanksgiving, and the healings. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we did. <laughs> Yeah. Nikki always loved Christmas. Nikki hates Halloween. She hated Halloween so bad. She's like, it's the stupidest holiday. So she hated Halloween and she really just saw Thanksgiving as a speed bump to Christmas. <laughs> like all she wanted to do was get to Christmas. So for years and years and years, we would light up the house the week going into Thanksgiving, no later than the Friday after Thanksgiving. That all changed in October 2019 when Nikki got diagnosed with cancer. We were just looking for for a way to be joyful in a really in a season that wasn't. So it kept getting earlier and earlier in the year that we would decorate because she just loved the nostalgia of Christmas. This year, Steve, Bailey, Ryan, and Everett started decorating on November 4th. In years past, when we, when we decorated the tree, hung the stockings, you know, there's been Christmas carols in the house and we didn't do that this year. It was a very mechanical decorating ceremony, if you will. We got it done, but it was there wasn't a lot of there was not a false sense of joy in the house. It was we're doing this because this is the right thing to do. And it's a hard thing, but it's the right thing. The 
that evening as I sat in my living room, looked at that tree and looked at those stockings, I got pretty overwhelmed with emotion. Because again, it's the, it's, it's the granularity of the moment that I don't think you can prepare for. You can know it's you know it's like st standing out on in, in amongst the breakers. You can see the wave coming in, but you can brace yourself with all you want. But once that thing hits you, it's going to knock you off your feet, and that's what happened when I looked at that tree and those stockings. There are also other firsts looming, like Steve and Nikki's wedding anniversary, just two days after Christmas. If you're facing the loss of a loved one or an overwhelming challenge, the toughest part is often asking for help. In Baltimore, there are a lot of people who need our help. It's no secret that our nation's drug problem is especially bad in Baltimore, where it's estimated that one in nine people are experiencing addiction. That's 50,000 people. We call it a drug crisis, but it's really a crisis of despair. People are hurting, and they use drugs to numb the pain. But the consequences are devastating. Many are living in cars, or even on the cold and violent streets. But a car should never be a home. A street should never be a home. Helping Up Mission in Baltimore offers long-term solutions. Through their recovery program, people receive meals, shelter, counseling, and job training, helping people begin again. To give a hand up to someone in need, go to helpingupmission.org. That's helpingupmission.org. Stand firm. How do you do that when there are heavy, life-changing questions hanging over your head? Pastor Jason Van Bemmel of Forest Hill Presbyterian Church has been a part of each episode this season to walk us through this question. Last time, Pastor Jason talked about his cancer diagnosis in early May, melanoma. And the unanswered question, has it spread? Even though his doctor had said that was unlikely, Pastor Jason still spent a challenging few days wrestling with that possibility. After I had preached the sermon and we were singing the final worship song, that it was really the hope of the resurrection. So we were singing a song that talks about the hope of the resurrection in the last verse. And it hit me. It really is fine. I am going to be fine forever no matter what happens. And most of the week I was sort of wrestling with trying to get the 99% likelihood that it was nothing to push out the 1% likelihood that it was going to be something bad. And so it was this tug of war between the 99% and the 1% and which side is going to win in my rational brain. It wasn't until worship that I got the 100% confidence that no matter what was coming, I was in God's hands and I was going to be I was going to be fine forever. Gratefully, the cancer had not spread, but this is now going to be an ongoing question. I've got a follow-up dermatologist appointment in a couple of days and I'm going to be having those more frequently. So there's always that little thought in the back of my mind of okay, here we go again, but 
but ultimately i you know god is in control and he he loves me and my family more than i do and he knows everything far better than i do and he is so good and he has always been so good to us that he's going to continue to be good to us no matter what Hi, Nikki. Uh, David Paul, how are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. Is this a good time? Yep, absolutely. All right. Sorry about the uh, echo. I'm actually in, in a practically empty house right now. Huh? <laughs> you know what, um, David said that you just recently moved. Is that, is that correct? November 29th, 2020. My first phone call with Nikki Healy for season three of Long Story Short. Almost to the day, two years later, Steve and I did our final conversation for Season 4. For two years, the Healys have trusted me with their story, and it's a story that continues on. Nikki's legacy will have an impact for years to come through the people she touched, her children, and eventually grandchildren. My hope and prayer is they get to learn a little more about how amazing their grandma was through these podcasts. And of course, for Steve, there is still much ahead, including some difficult days. Some things you anticipate and can kind of get geared up for and know, all right, this is going to be a first. And I don't know how it's going to hit, but it's probably going to hit. Some firsts you know they're going to come, and there's other firsts that you don't know that's going to come. Case in point. And it was the first really bad day I had at work where it was just... There was a lot going on at work and there was just, there was a lot to think through, a lot of processing that needed done, a lot of decisions needed to be made. And it was just a hard day. You know, it was on those hard days that generally I would get in the car and I would call Nick almost immediately and we would talk on the ride home just for her to know where my head was at. She would just be my sounding board and that she would be the person that I could talk to and she would validate when I was feeling certain things she would tell she would correct me when i was getting off base or going on a wild tangent she she really was my rudder on a bad day and i remember that very first bad day and i didn't have my i didn't have her to call and i was driving down route 10 and i just started crying and i just thought Again, that feeling of loneliness. That's a first that you don't anticipate and you're not ready for. Looming straight ahead as we talked was Nikki's favorite holiday, Christmas, and also Steve and Nikki's wedding anniversary on December 27th. Steve told me he has a plan. I'm going to go over to the Eastern Shore. I'm going to take Nikki's journals with me. I'm going to take my salt and pepper notebook just for a few days. Go be alone and spend time with Jesus. Come back think uh, on the 29th and then just step into 2023. And how does that make Steve feel the new year? 2020, 2021, 2022, every single year, there was a heaviness that came into every single New Year's Eve. Even when Nick was in treatment, even when, you know, there was prognosis was, hey, if you do this, she'll be okay. There was always the heaviness of cancer and by association, the result of what could come with cancer, that being death. This is the first year that I'm stepping into where I don't know what 2023 is going to look like. So some of that is scary. Some of that is I'm certainly still grieving. 
you know, right now with where I'm at, I, I would say I'm, I'm not okay, but I'm not as, I'm not as bad as I once was. So that does make me hopeful in a very strange way. Hopeful. It was good hearing my friend use that word. It wasn't the only time he said it during our conversation. He told me the story of a video that his daughter Bailey took last Christmas. It's just a video of Nick decorating the tree. She <laughs> she was all bent out of shape because Everett <laughs> Everett had you know Everett at the time he was nine, so he took all the ornaments and like put them in one spot on the tree. <laughs> Man, that tree is lopsided. Everything's on the front. I know. It's and Nikki, who's like is so particular about how things look, was like, "This is all wrong." <laughs> She's like moving it all around. And, you know, videos like that in the past, I would watch them and they would really, I mean, I'd get really sorrowful. I would get really like downcast and despondent and just think, man, look what I've lost. I'll never, uh, I'll never have anything like that again. It was the first time I looked at a video of that and I was actually, it invoked a good memory and I found myself smiling and and this is going to be a strange way, but I just found myself really grateful and increasingly so I, I say that with some trepidity because this is new for me, but now I find myself being less saddened by what was taken from me and now more grateful for what I had. That makes me hopeful. Steve, of course, isn't the only one navigating the loss of Nikki. Their three children are dealing with the loss of their mom. Bailey is 18, and as this is recorded, wrapping up her first semester at Anne Arundel Community College. She made the All-Maryland JUCO for cross-country. How's Bailey doing? Steve says she recently started processing her grief with a friend who also lost a family member. Brian, who's 15, is in high school and is also studying cosmetology at the Center of Applied Technologies. Ryan played JV volleyball during her fall semester and has transitioned to swimming. How is Ryan? Steve says she's back in rock mode, not easily shaken, but he also says he's been talking with her about opening up more and talking more about her loss. Everett, he's in the fifth grade. He played on a fall baseball team that Steve helped coach. Steve says the nightly questions Everett asks seems to be helping, but outside of that, he's a distracted 11-year-old who enjoys playing online games with his friends. One of the last questions I asked Steve, what do his kids want for him? So one of the things they did at the retreat is uh, about halfway through the second day we were there, they said, hey, we're going to give you some time now to go be alone, process, go spend time with Jesus, but we want to give you something before you go, and they gave us letters from home. <laughs> that was emotional you know you take these letters i got letters from you know, my in-laws and my sister-in-law and my best friend and my parents but then i got letters from my kids and specifically in these letters they just encouraged me and they they just told me you know <laughs> that they were proud of me for putting in the work the the theme they kind of laid out was like dad your best is yet to come i really i really do believe that <laughs> and uh i think they want to see their dad happy again i think and not and that's the wrong word i would say joyful and that's not based on circumstances that's just based on 
a posture of gratitude and just health. I mean, practically, they you know, they you know, at some point they want me to. They've been clear. They're like, hey, look, you're you're young. We hope you find somebody that you can do life with, which is a weird thing coming from your children. <laughs> they said they. Yeah, they. Outside of being present and being healthy, I think that's really where they want to see their dad. Stand firm. How do you do that when your world's been rocked and the unanswered questions are heavy and difficult, like, why didn't God heal Nikki? We're going to give Steve Healy the final word in a moment, but first, there was an unasked question during season three when we took a deep look at God's grace and whether it's sufficient when you're facing the hardest things of life, like stage four cancer, as Nikki was. The unasked question, sufficient to do what? How about stand firm, as Nikki did until her final breath? So the two questions of season three and season four are really one question. Is God's grace sufficient to stand firm? Before we hear from Steve, listen to Nikki's season three ending comment about God's grace through the filter of standing firm. God doesn't give you the ticket to grace until the bus shows up. My mom was with me on Tuesday night after, you know, I had that original devastating doctor's appointment. And she said, I just saw God's grace all over you. You know, you have the impact of the moment of like devastating and the emotions of what let's go through the last two years, you know, all the bad news I've gotten. Right. But, but then, but then it's his grace takes over and you're like, okay, moving on, you know, it affects you for the moment, but like you're still living life and you're still moving forward. When it comes to standing firm, it could be the greatest testimony and the greatest outworking of our faith. It's all predicated on a singular question as to whether or not you believe that Jesus walked out of the tomb on the third day. So no matter what I experience circumstantially in this life, I am passing through this place. This is a temporary place. And when things are great, I am going to sing with gratitude. When things are horrible, I am going to be sorrowful, but I will still hold on to a hope that is eternal. And I think in doing that, we radiate to a lost and dying world. I saw my wife do it, and the kingdom of God grew because of it. So I'm going to stand firm and be expectant that the best is yet to come. Long Story Short is a production of Brighter Media Group. John Lawhon is the executive producer. Thanks also to Todd Gaddy, Caroline Burke, Aaron Branham, and Laura Ahn. As season four concludes, some special thanks are in order. Thank you, David Thompson, for reaching out to Nikki, which got season three rolling and made season four possible. Thanks for being a longtime mutual friend. Amy Healy, thank you for your warm words and hug at Nikki's viewing and giving me some time for this podcast. Jackie Carnahan, 
Your vulnerability during our conversation moved me deeply. Thank you. Pastor Sammy Foster, you're a busy man, and I'm grateful for the time you generously gave me. I'm also grateful for the sermon you preached five days after Nikki died. It was profound and much needed, one of the best I've ever heard. Pastor Jason Van Bemmel, thank you for helping us better understand the context and meaning of 1 Corinthians 15:58 to stand firm. Bailey, Ryan, and Everett, it's been a true pleasure getting to know you, although I wish it were under different circumstances. You've stood firm and are inspiring many, just like your mom. Steve Healy, thank you again for trusting me with your story. It's been one of the greatest honors of my professional life. The impact that you and Nikki have had on my life will reverberate for many years. And thank you, thank you for listening. I know there are a lot of things competing for your attention, and I'm grateful you spent time with Long Story Short. My hope and prayer is you found this time well spent, drawing you closer to the one who gives us the grace to stand firm when life is hard and there are more difficult questions than answers. I see two paths, and I know what lies at the end of both of them, so I feel, I don't know, I just feel okay, you know. And if you're not hopeful, then you're sad, so I don't want to be sad. (laughs) 